Good morning. Good morning and welcome to all our guests, visitors, and radio listeners today. A few announcements for us. Rose on the altar today is in honor of Orville and Bonnie Height, who will celebrate 51 years of marriage on August 24th. I see a mayor in the back, so happy anniversary, Orville and Bonnie. Uh, as, all, as everyone here probably knows, Pastor Trent Fletterjohn, he will be ordained by the Christian, Ministry, Christian and Missionary Alliance on Sunday, September 1st at 10.30 a.m. service at the Faith Alliance Church in New Bremen. There are cards in the back at the Info Center in the sanctuary. Please take a moment to sign one of them and wish him well. Trent's the son of the church and served as our youth pastor from 2006 to 2010. There will be a Sunday school teachers meeting on August 25th, immediately following the Sunday service to talk about the coming year. This is for all teachers, helpers, and substitutes. Also, a special thank you to both Krista Hoagie and Danielle Hirschfeld for volunteering to teach Sunday school this year. Backyard Bible study for the junior and senior high youth is at Jack and Sarah Shellicky's home tonight from 6.30 to 8. Bring a chair and your Bible. And one correction in the bulletin. Choir begins on Wednesday, September 4th, not Sunday, September 4th. So if all those are able, would please join me and rise for the call to worship. My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long. Though I know not how to relate them all, I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, Sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteous deeds, yours alone. Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Your righteousness, God, reaches to the heavens. You have done great things. Who is like you, God? And now we will continue to stand and we will sing hymn 29, Glorify Thy Name.
Good morning. How are you guys today? Good. Yeah? Did everybody have a good week? Yeah. Yeah? What did you guys do? Did you guys play outside? Yeah. Who went to the pool party last Sunday? Oh, well, happy early birthday. Well, you know what? I have a question for you guys. Can anybody tell me what it means, the word means defend? What it means? Like, if someone's trying to, like, like you, you have to, like, block them and not let them. You have to block? Okay. Can anybody else tell me what the word defend means? Okay, block. You maybe protect or you keep safe. Well, hmm, let's think about basketball. When you play defense, what do you do? You guard. Do you just like move around like this? What do you do? You have to put your hands up, right? When you play defense, you have to protect the basket from the other team putting the basketball in the hoop, right? Okay, so the opposite of defense is offense and basketball. So what do you have to do when you play offense? Get the ball into the basket. You have to get the ball in the basket. You want to score as many points as you can, right? So if you're defense and offense, oh, what else do you have to do on offense? You have to pass and you have to shoot. Okay. Well, do you just magically get from one end to the other? What, what do you have to do to get from one end to the other? You have to dribble. Well, you know what? When we think about it, you have to really think. Basketball is exactly like our Christian faith. Sometimes we have to play defense. Sometimes we have to play offense. And sometimes we have to dribble or walk with God. What are some things that we do when we dribble or we walk with God? Well, that's how we that's how we dribble, but what are some things that we do when we walk with God? We pray. You guys come up here to children's chat every Sunday, right? Who goes to VBS? Who goes to Sunday school? Who prays before bedtime? Okay. Those are all different things in how we can walk with God. We read our Bibles. Some examples of who's getting ready to go back to school. Who has started school or getting ready to go back to school? Okay. So some of us, you guys are getting ready probably soon to start school, huh? No. (laughs) Well, what are some ways that you guys can defend by using prayer or reading your Bible, what are some ways that you guys can defend your friends at school? How about some ideas of maybe hanging out with a friend who doesn't have a friend to hang out with? Maybe standing up for somebody when they're getting picked on on the playground? Or maybe, you know what, if you're seeing someone eat lunch alone, you can go eat lunch with them. And you know what? It's not only doing good things 
but Jesus is going to give you guys an opportunity to play offense and share your faith with those people, whether they may be your friends or someone you just met. But Jesus is going to be giving you opportunities to play offense and to share. So let's go ahead and I have a scripture for you. It says in Psalms 72.4, it says, defend the poor and rescue the needy children. You know what? All of us need rescued. And who rescues us? Jesus does. Jesus is always going to be your number one best friend when you need him in those times, right? So let's go ahead and pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for your love. Thank you for living in our hearts and protecting us. Thank you for being our best friend. Help us this week to come into our lives and protect us. Help us share you and share your love with our friends and people that we may be just meet. In your son's name we pray, amen. Killed this week in Nineveh province in Iraq. Gunnery Sergeant Scott A. Koppenhofer, 35, from Mancos, Colorado. Lost in our service in Fort Hood, Texas, Staff Sergeant Andrew Michael St. John, 29, from Greenwood, Indiana. Thank you, Jay. At this time, we have a, a special part of our service. Uh, before we go to the Lord in prayer, I'd like to invite forward Sharon Colson. Uh, Sharon is uh, this year is beginning uh, as our church project manager for Operation Christmas Child. Operation Christmas Child is a ministry that she's going to tell you all about. We've been participating in for uh, several years uh, as part of our Sunday school. It's kind of started in the Sunday school, but we've encouraged the whole church to get involved. And, and Sharon has a heart for this ministry, and you'll hear about that for a few minutes here. Um, she's going to tell you all about it. And we're going to. And, and the reason we're doing this in August, as she'll share, is that we're hoping to uh, expand this and really get involved and be able to make a big impact this year. So, Sharon, thank you for being here this morning, and thanks for sharing with us about Operation Christmas Child. I've always been a Christian. As a child growing up, I, like others worldwide, heard the great evangelist and evangelicist and preacher to the presidents, the Reverend Billy Graham, who brought thousands to Christ through his televised crusades. With senior Girl Scouts, I traveled to a Girl Scout World Center in Mexico, and while there, I saw firsthand slums and tent cities. I'd like to think that my Christian life changed in October 2017 when I had the opportunity to revisit Germany when I, with others from this church, assisted with the 3C project in Kusel. I shared with this church the impact that the testimony 
of the Muslim refugees turned Christian who were baptized in front of me had on my life. The hunger and thirst for salvation I saw in them gave me the sense that still I can do more. I'm an ordinary Christian. Do you ever feel that way? Every morning since then, I see the picture I hung on my bedroom wall. Be the change you want to see in the world. In November of last year, my brother Larry again invited me to join him with Operation Christmas Child. He'd gone 15 or 16 years. My answer had always been no. I'd like to, but, you know, life gets in the way. This time I said yes, and I joined him, his wife, three of my nephews, my sister, and my husband on the Great Lakes OCC bus trip. Our destination was Charlotte, North Carolina, to the processing center there, to Operation Christmas Child, a program of Samaritan's Purse, the ministry led by Franklin Graham, the eldest son of Billy Graham. I'm going again. Our church has always been involved in Operation Christmas Child, and I want to thank Nancy and Wayne for bringing us this far. But First Church, led by myself, Pastor Joel, Tori, and Connie, wants to take this participation to a whole new level. These words are from Billy, from Franklin Graham. I would like to invite you to participate in Operation Christmas Child, an exciting program that each year brings the joy of Christmas to millions of hurting children throughout the world. The concept is simple. Caring individuals, families, churches, schools, businesses, and other groups fill shoeboxes with small gifts and send them to collection centers operated by Samaritan's Purse, the Christian Relief and Evangelical Organization. We process and deliver these shoeboxes worldwide to children devastated by war, poverty, disease, and disaster. Since being founded in 1993, the years of war in Sarajevo and Kosovo, Samaritan's Purse has collected more than 157 million shoeboxes and delivered them to children in over 160 countries. Last year, OCC expected to process 9.4 million boxes, with 2.5 of those being processed in Charlotte alone, which is one of eight processing centers. Your shoebox is the humanitarian tool to help a child in need, but has also been a way since 9-11 to open doors into areas that had been closed borders or were unreachable peoples, such as in Africa. Do you realize that the word gospel begins with the word go? You can be an international missionary even if you don't go to the ends of the earth. Shoeboxes from all over will be going forth with the simple gifts that we pack. But wait. After the shoebox, the greatest journey begins. The good news, great joy, 
is that shoebox recipients also attend a 12-lesson discipleship program, The Greatest Journey, in which they learn about Jesus and receive the invitation to the greatest gift of all, Christ. Upon completion, if possible, they wear a graduation gown, receive a certificate, and receive a Bible in their own language. Even children search for the meaning of life. In a war-torn country, imagine a child alone or one with no food or even the basics of life. A simple shoebox may be the first gift that a child has ever received. This is the purpose of Operation Christmas Child, to proclaim the message that Jesus Christ came to mankind in the form of the Christmas child to bring the gift of eternal life to all. The shoebox gift is a humanitarian tool that leads to gospel opportunities. Every shoebox is a miracle. These shoeboxes make an eternal difference that leads to multiplication of saved lives and church planting throughout the world. Entire communities can be transformed. Prayer goes ahead of and with each shoebox. Prayerfully consider Samaritan's Purse and Operation Christmas Child this week. While you're out shopping, pick up an extra pack of colored pencils, scissors, glue sticks, or notebooks. God gets the glory. Lives will be changed. And I pray that over the next three months, one of the lives that will be changed is yours. I'll tell you more next week. I'd like for you to join me in singing hymn 309, Pass It On. We singing verses 1 and 3.
You may be seated. Thank you, Sharon. Would you like to stay up here while I pray for Operation Christmas Child and the other needs and concerns we have in our, in our church and our community this day? Lord God, I thank you so much for, uh, for your gift of love to us. As we just sang in that hymn, as, as we just heard Sharon talk about, Lord, our, our responsibility, our, our response to your love in our life is to pass it on to others. Lord, there's so many ways to do that. And Operation Christmas Child is a great way for us to, to do that, not just, Lord, uh, in our own community, but also see the impact around the world. And so I pray, Lord, that as, as we go about, um, as not just our church, but other churches and other individuals in this country, Lord, uh, begin to, to prepare for Operation Christmas Child this year, that you would, uh, that you'd encourage us and, and equip us, Lord, to get involved and, uh, and to be as involved as we can be, Lord. Uh, thank, I pray for all the shoeboxes that will be uh, gathered here, collected here, and packed here, Lord, that they would make an impact with each individual that, that receives them. And I pray, Lord, that not only would they uh, be blessed by the, the physical gifts as, as small or as insignificant as they may seem to us, Lord, I pray that they make a blessing, uh, an impact on them. And, Lord, even more importantly, that your gospel, your love, your good news would go out through this ministry and through this church. I do lift up other concerns, Lord, that are, that are in, this, um, in this church, in this community. Lord, there's a lot of needs that are out there. And so we ask for your provision and your love and your grace to be experienced in each one of them. Uh, Lord, we trust you. We trust that your, ultimately your good is what is best for us. Uh, it may not always be what we expect or what we want, but we trust in your goodness and your will for our lives. We pray all these things in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, Sharon. Sharon mentioned you'll be hearing uh, more about from her next week about how specifically you can get involved in Operation Christmas Child and, and we'll be giving updates throughout the fall. We're hoping to, uh, you know, keep this and we don't want to wait around until November to, to get involved in this. We're hoping to get involved throughout this fall. So thank you, Sharon, for being a part of that. This time I want to invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time. a word you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. deserve it still you give yourself away 
Shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down, coming after me.
Please remain standing for the scripture reading this morning. The scripture reading is from 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since Christ suffered in this body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask for your spirit to move here in this place. As we study your word together, as we look at your uh, good news, we ask, Lord, that you would help us to focus in on, on what you have in store for us today. And I pray that you would give me words to speak, Lord, that help us all to um, rely on you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I'd like to take a moment and uh, I think we've done this to you before. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Apologize. We had the wrong scripture reading prepared for her on the pulpit. It was actually supposed to be First Peter 3 um, and a few verses from there. And so I apologize so much for that. But I'll read that verse for you um, here as we get started here this morning. First Peter 3, we're going to read 15 uh, through 17. So that in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always pre- be prepared to give an answer in a, to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Our topic today, we're going to be focusing in on how we can share and defend our faith, uh, excuse me, defend our faith and share it with others. You see, we live in a world that is not too dissimilar to the one that Peter was living in and writing in when he wrote uh, this epistle uh, in the days of the early church. May not experience exactly the same things and, and to different degrees, but, but the truth is that all of God's people, all of people have, have trusted in Christ we are citizens of a different kingdom, right? And so as we live and work and go about our normal day-to-day lives in this world, we're going to experience pushback. We're going to experience friction because of our commitment to Christ does not always line up with the world around us. Now, it's common human experience for people to suffer, right? We have bad days. We have uh, unfortunate health problems or financial situations. The kind of suffering that Peter here is talking about is not just bad luck, not just uh, having a rough few days or few months. The, the pushback he's addressing here in this passage, the suffering for doing good is, is a comment to those who have stepped out in faith and, and shared their, their faith boldly with others. And people that have been, as a result, received pushback and, uh, and in Peter's day, persecution as a result of their commitment to Christ. Now, I do not I think it's important for us to not just equate the world that we live in with what it was like for the first uh, 
the early church in the first few centuries of its existence, in those days they experienced real significant persecution. People were arrested. Paul wrote several of his letters from jail as a result of his faith in Christ. We who live here in the United States are blessed to live in a land and a culture and a society where we can freely gather to worship and not have to fear persecution to the same degree in the same way that uh, Peter and many in the early church experienced it for themselves. But the truth is that we are always going to be distinctive in a world that does not know Christ, in a world that does not claim to be Christian. And so we need to keep in mind that though we may not experience persecution in the same way or to the same degree, we know that we can still uh, experience pushback or experience uh, not be we experience rejection, excuse me, uh, for our willingness to follow Christ, even if that goes against the norms of the culture. See, that's that's what Peter was getting at here in this passage, and, and Peter's letter as a whole is written to a group of people in that situation. And the emphasis of Peter's letter and the, what we're going to be focusing on today is, is people living out their faith in real in practical and distinctive ways in a culture that did not always agree with them. See, Peter's concern was for for Christians to live their faith and commit to Christ and be to a life of holy living in a way that people will notice and want to know what makes them different. See, Peter's concern throughout his letter is for exactly just that. In chapter 1, verse 15, he says, But you, just as, you were call, just as who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. And then probably the most famous verses in all of First Peter is from chapter 2, beginning of verse 9. He says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into this marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, that's what makes us as Christians distinct and separate and different from the rest of the world, is our commitment and our, and our, our decision to follow Christ, that relationship that he's called us into, and how that then impacts the rest of our lives and how we live. Seeing a faith that is integrated and, and how and impacts how we live in our families, how we live in our neighborhoods, how we conduct ourselves at work or in other social settings. See, being a Christian, being a follower of Christ should impact all of those things. And as a result, then give us an opportunity to share our faith with others. And so turning back to 1 Peter chapter 3, Verse 15, we're going to really focus in on that one verse. It says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. There's three things there that I want us to focus on in terms of what it means for us to defend and share our faith with others, especially in a world that that sees us as different or as distinct in and of ourselves. And so the first thing is we need, we need to do is to revere Christ as Lord. In other words, if we want to be different, if we want to stand out, if we want to allow our, have our faith impact our lives in that way, we need ourselves to revere Christ as Lord in our own hearts. We can't make an impact for the kingdom if we don't make that decision for ourselves first. We can't hope to, 
to share our faith with a family member, with a friend, or with a coworker if we don't truly believe it ourselves. And so the first step in defending and sharing your faith is, is committing yourself to Christ, choosing to follow him as Lord and Savior, and truly believing the good news of the gospel that we are all sinners in need of a Savior, and Jesus Christ is that Savior who has rescued and redeemed us. And in particular, in the context of, of 1 Peter in our own world, we need to, uh, revering Christ as Lord, honoring him, respecting him in that way, means that, that we desire to please him more than ourselves or those that we, are, those that we encounter in this world. It means trusting in him to provide and knowing that he is in ultimate control and not allowing our fear of being ridiculed or our fear of being, uh, being seen as different override our goal of sharing the gospel with others. See, if we truly revere Christ as Lord in our hearts, then we won't allow fear to, to dominate our conversations. If we truly trust that Jesus is Lord and King and Messiah and Christ, then, then we're going to be willing and, and we're going to want to share that with everyone that we meet. See, the enemy would rather see us cower in fear, would rather see us uh, keep that to ourselves. But as Christians, we can't allow our fear of how we are perceived or fear of what may happen to us override the prerogative to share the gospel. And so part of revering Christ as Lord is, is, is committing ourselves to him, committing ourselves to know the gospel, but also know the enemy's tactics, right? The enemy would like nothing more than for us to keep that to ourselves, to keep that light that God has given within us. And so he, he controls us by, by causing us to fear what other people think or fear what other people may do to us in a, if, if we were in a different sort of setting, But we can't allow fear to control us. The enemy also has other tactics that go all the way back to the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And that is the the tactic of of instilling doubt and manipulating us in in terms of our our relationship to God and his word. Think about what the enemy did in the garden all the way back to Adam and Eve. What were the first words that the enemy spoke to them? Did God really say that? In other words, can you really trust God? Can you really believe his word? See, the enemy's tactic from the beginning was to get us to doubt God's word, to get us to doubt the, not only the, the truthfulness, truthfulness of it, but also its place in our lives as, as our ultimate authority for life and practice. And so the enemy from the very beginning has, has, has been, has been uh, getting us to doubt that, has been getting us to question whether or not we can really take God at his word or really believe what he says to us, including the promises of the gospel itself, that Christ died for us and that we have been made alive in him. And so the enemy would like nothing more for us to live in fear and to live in doubt of God's word. And so to, in order to respond to that, we ourselves need to know the gospel. We need to know God's word in such a way that it comes naturally to us. So that as we live our lives from a, from a personal level, but also as we have opportunities to share the gospel with others, we need to know what we're talking about. And so we need to be in God's word. We need to, uh, as, as Peter says here, always be ready to, to, to give a reason for the hope that we have in Christ. And we can't do that. We can't share that good news with others if we don't 
know it ourselves, if we're not in God's word in order to uh, allow that to be a part of us. There's a metaphor in, in scripture. It happens once in the Old Testament, once in the New, about this idea that we are called to ingest God's word. There, twice uh, God instructs a prophet to, to eat a scroll representing this, this, the, the consuming of God's word and allowing God's word not just to be something we read, not just something we look at every once in a while, but something that becomes a part of us. See, we need to revere Christ as Lord by, by being in his word, by learning more about him, by studying it so that we can know what it says and when we have opportunities, share that good news with others. And so we need to revere Christ as Lord and not succumb to fear the tactics of the enemy. And so what does that look like for us? Well, he goes on to say, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And so we must be ready and willing to uh, share the good news for others when those opportunities arrive. And notice this is a very, this is more of an active approach than a passive. It's not just wait around and other, someone else will put, the, put two and two together. No, this is, this is being ready and willing to speak, to share the good news as those opportunities come up. But it's not just winning an argument. It's not about just convincing someone logically uh, because that's not always going to win the case. It's about serving other people. It's about proclaiming the gospel, not just with our words, but also with our actions and, and meeting people where they're at. You see, Jesus all the time in his own ministry, he didn't just stand on a street corner and preach, but he, he encountered people and met them in their moment of need. He healed people. He provided for them. He loved them in real and practical ways. And the same way that's what we're called to do is we proclaim the gospel. It's not about just winning a theological argument, but it's about, about proclaiming the gospel through words and through deed, about meeting other people's needs uh, materially, intellectually, and emotionally, as well as spiritually. In the world today, in, in conversations within the church, there's this distinction between what some call the social justice gospel and what some may label as just pure evangelism. And we've created this dichotomy as if one and the, they are opposed to each other. But that's not the case. God doesn't desire us for, to just meet other people's physical needs. He doesn't desire us to just and only focus on people's spiritual needs. He wants us to meet people's physical and spiritual needs at the same time. In doing so, we're truly approaching evangelism in a holistic way. Because evangelism, is, evangelism isn't primarily about the message. It's a, excuse me, it is primarily about the message, not how you share it. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Now, it's the good news of the gospel. Isn't it really about us to begin with? It's not about my faith. It's not about my understanding of it. It's not about what, how it's necessarily impacted me. It's about what Jesus has done for us. It's about Christ's work on the cross being made real and being received in my own life. Does that make sense? Do you notice that distinction? It's not that your testimony doesn't matter. In fact, I think sharing your testimony is a great way to share your faith. But the gospel is first and foremost about Jesus and what he's done for us. And so as we learn to share that, as we learn to proclaim Christ, we need to learn to do so with boldness. And boldness that is not haughty or 
or ugly or leads to divisiveness, because that's not going to help anyone out, right? We've all seen examples of that on Twitter, haven't we? Or Facebook, where, where people just get all in arguments and, and one side just starts yelling at the other and, and you're not convincing anyone, right? You're just driving a wedge further and further between the two of you. Instead, the boldness that Christ desires from us is the boldness of, that is defined by humility, gentleness, and respect. Not backing down, not, willing, not compromising our faith, but, but sharing it in such a way that honors and respects the other person as well. There's two things I want you to remember with this. As we share, as we learn to share the gospel with others, it's about being faithful to the gospel and being flexible in how we share it. See, we, we need to be faithful. We need to stick to the gospel. We need to keep the main thing the main thing. As we tell other people about Jesus, it's not about how we dress. It's not about the kind of things that we do. It's not even necessarily about where we go to church, although you know, that could be a part of of your story, of how the church you attend and how that helps you to grow in your faith. The gospel is first and foremost about Christ and what he's done for us. Romans 1.16 says the gospel is the power unto salvation for people. It is the gospel that saves, not me or not you. It's, it's what Christ has done for us. In Galatians 1, Paul warns the church there about accepting another gospel any gospel besides the one that was proclaimed through Christ. We need to stick to the gospel. And again, what is that gospel? What is it all about? It's about Jesus. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 defines the gospel this way. He says, For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. See, that's what the gospel is all about. Christ, it's about who Jesus is. It's about what he did for us. And it's about how he secures that, the benefits of that salvation in our lives. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, God's chosen one to redeem this world. He is fully God, fully man, and he is the one who gave himself up for us. He died for our sins. See, the gospel... Again, it's not about what we do to reach God. It's about what God has done for us through Christ. So it's about who Jesus is. It's about what he's done for us. And it's about, about what he secured for us. And that is through his resurrection, uh, he has secured eternal life for all who believe. See, that's why we know our, our faith is not in vain. That's why we know we have hope that goes beyond this life because Jesus, his death and ultimately his resurrection guarantees eternal life for us. And so no matter how we share the gospel, we need to remain faithful to that truth that is all about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. That's the core of our faith. But we need to be willing to be flexible Sometimes we change how we share the gospel based on who we're talking to or the context that we're in. Paul often approached sharing the gospel differently depending on whether he was in a synagogue or whether he was speaking to um, uh, a gathering of of philosophers in the city of Athens. He knew that different people uh, understood things differently, and so he didn't change the gospel message, but sometimes he changed how he shared it. I want to share Paul's own words with you from 1 Corinthians 9. He says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. 
To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, and to win the weak. And here it is. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. So you're going to have plenty of different encounters. Whether it's people, whether it's opportunities to share the gospel with your children, other members of your family, people at work, or your neighbors, or even just encouraging one another here in this church. Those conversations will look different at times and you may emphasize different things at different points and and the conversation may go differently, but sharing the gospel is not about being up here behind the pulpit preaching from God's word, although that's a part of it. Sharing the gospel isn't about standing on a soapbox on a street corner with a megaphone either, although that can be used to win some to Christ. The gospel is about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ in whatever way, in whatever context, in whatever opportunity God has given you. And so that may be over dinner with friends, that may be over a cup of coffee at Main Street, right? That, may, that, that could come in a, in a variety of ways. But when we have that opportunity, when God lays that before us, it's our responsibility to take it up and to point people towards Christ. We also need to remember it's not about us. It's not about Pastor Joel, right, saving people. Something I had to learn early on in my ministry is it's, it's not about... It's, it's, it's not my responsibility or my job to, to save someone's soul. That's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of God in someone's life. It's, it's God the Father whose love is poured out to us. It's, it's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died on the cross and rose again. It's the Holy Spirit that, that works in a person's heart to soften them to get to that point. Now, God may use me or may use you, but it's ultimately about God uh, redeeming someone And it's not about me convincing someone to trust in Christ. Finally, as we close, I want us to to reflect on that last part of the verse about being always prepared to share the hope that we have, but doing so with gentleness and respect. God desires that we use our words to proclaim the gospel and point people to Christ, but he also desires that we pair that with holy living and a transformed life. I talked earlier about being different, about being distinctive from the world around us. I believe the best defense of the gospel, the best evangelistic message that we'll ever preach is a Christ-shaped life. About marrying, not only marrying your belief with your actions, about putting, in a sense, your money where your mouth is and actually living for Christ each and every day. And I believe as we, as Christians, choose to do that, choose to love others as God loved us, people will notice. And it'll do two things. One, it'll point people towards Christ. They will see the light of God shining through you, like it says in Matthew 5. As we read in 1 Peter chapter 2 about being a holy nation, proclaiming the deeds of God so that people may see God's marvelous light. Right, as we choose to live the gospel, make it real in our lives, people will notice and, and they'll be pointed to God. But it will also give us opportunities then to speak truth into their lives as well. The problem with the model of evangelism as, as a person on a soapbox with a megaphone 
is that, is that they're preaching to strangers that they don't even know. And most of the time, I'll, and I'll be honest with you, I, I have the temperament that if, if someone's yelling at me in a megaphone, I'm not going to give them the time of day to necessarily listen to what they have to say. You may find yourselves in a similar, similar to me in that way. But if I got to know someone, if it was a friend of mine who came up to me and said, I want to talk with you about something, I'd listen to that. Because there's a relationship there that is formed. Because I know that they're not speaking to me as, as a convert to be one necessarily, but as a friend that they dearly care about. As a family member that they would love to see experience the love of God for themselves. See, that makes such a huge difference. It's, it's the difference between preaching at someone or, or speaking at someone and speaking to them. And we earn that right, we earn that trust through our behavior, through our actions, by living a Christ-shaped life each and every day because that is what people will notice and that will give us opportunities then to share that gospel with others. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord God, I, I ask, Lord, that you would instill in us an urgency, a boldness, Lord, to share our faith with others and share that gospel message that we all need to hear that Christ died for sinners and that we, we need that love. We need that grace. We need that mercy. We've all, we've experienced, for those of us that have experienced that for ourselves, help us to not contain that, to hold that in, but be willing to let that overflow and share with everyone we meet. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, let's, sing, let's stand and sing number 326, Softly and Tenderly.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may go in peace.